Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, the Emergencies Act inquiry continues to soldier along in Ottawa, and Rebel News Chief Reporter Sheila Gunn-Reed will offer her analysis of the week that was. And Tamara Ugolini recently attended the World Health Summit in Berlin, Germany, well, sort of. You see, unlike the trained seals in the mainstream media, Tamara tends to ask prickly questions about the COVID-19 vaccine and COVID-19-inspired lockdowns. And by doing so, well, that results in Tamara being exiled from the conference. Unbelievable. Tamara will join me to share all the egregious details. And letters, we get your letters, we get your letters every minute of every day. And you had plenty to say about our latest Jumbotron-equipped truck that urged Ontario Premier Doug Ford to come out of hiding and testify at the Emergencies Act inquiry. Will he do so? Or is this yet another matter of fat chance? In any event, those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. It's all wrapped up, and the commissioner, if he finds that uh, the, uh, there was no justification for the federal government to invoke the Emergencies Act, should there be consequences for the federal government, including your resignation? But we knew from the very beginning uh, that invoking the Emergencies Act is a big step. It had never been done before. But given these unprecedented illegal protests, uh, we needed to take action. We took it in a way that was measured, that was responsible, that was time-limited, and we knew full well that there needed to be a public inquiry. Canadians need that level of transparency and accountability, uh, and that's why uh, we launched this inquiry. That's why I'm so happy to be, that why I offered from the beginning uh, to be part of, uh, part of appearing at this commission. Uh, and we're going to make sure that Canadians see uh, the situation we were facing and how the tools we used were appropriate. It's found that there was no justification for it. Again, what, what should the consequences be for that? I think the important thing is for Canadians to understand uh, the, the situation we were in and the choices we make. We didn't enter uh, into using the Emergencies Act lightly. We used it uh, with a sense of uh, it was the necessary tool at the time. Uh, we used it in a way that was measured and proportionate, uh, and we're really pleased that the Commission is going to be able to hear from all these witnesses, and that was why I offered to appear. He didn't offer to appear. He was subpoenaed and he didn't offer to have the inquiry. It's built into the invocation of the act. It's an accountability measure built into the act that if you invoke this thing, you're going to have to answer and produce reasons for it. This is Tamara talking about what she felt as her prime minister is calling her a racist sexist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was becoming increasingly alarmed listening to my prime minister call me a racist and say that I shouldn't be tolerated. I found his rhetoric to be incredibly divisive and I'm a, I'm a believer that if you're a leader of a country, you have to lead all of your people, even if you don't agree with them. And I, I just saw so much 
Coming across Canada every day, I heard stories. People, at least three people, would tell me they were planning their suicides until we started the convoy. Or stories of people that we were too late. I heard from families that were living in their vehicles because they'd lost their jobs. I heard from people that had lost their jobs and lost everything. I have the tears of thousands of Canadians on my shoulder who every day told me that we were bringing them hope. I saw little old ladies praying on their knees on the side of the road, and I saw little children holding signs saying, thank you for giving me back my future. The explanation is I have been absolutely harassed. I've been absolutely defamed, character assassination by a certain group, and they edit videos, and they cut and splice, and they take 10 seconds here, and they blow it out of proportion. And I've been dealing with this for years. I will give you an opportunity. I'm going to show you some of the, the videos, and I'll give oh, you Oh, absolutely. I can't wait. Comment on them. I've been waiting for years. Well, folks, the Emergencies Act inquiry in Ottawa is well into its second week. And wow, talk about eyebrow-raising commentary from some of the people that have been chosen to testify. And thankfully, we have someone on staff. That would be our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed, who's been watching just about every single second of that inquiry. And she joins me now to give her her thoughts and opinions on what's been happening these last few days. How you doing there, Sheila Gunn-Reed? Oh, David, I'm great. I think as we're recording this, we are almost done. Day 16 of the Truckers Commission, as we're calling it. And uh, we've sort of cut through some of the senior police officers and senior police superintendents, both in OPS, so Ottawa Police Service and the OPP, the Ontario Police. We've heard from them and we've heard from senior um, bureaucrats in the city. And now we're moving into convoy organizer territory. And as I'm watching this, you can, well, as I said, David, before I jumped, uh, before we started recording, it's kind of a wonder they got to Ottawa at all because <laughs> there are a lot of different factions of truckers. And I think they started off united, but as pressure came down on them, and as they realized, we need to have a, a media strategy because the media is starting to lie about us. They started to engage, I think, rightfully in some political hygiene. And that sort of drove people into their respective camps. And we're seeing mm -hmm. that unfold live on TV every single day. And, and Sheila, <clears throat> let me talk about one particular unsavory individual, in my opinion. Um, and it's simply this. Does anyone give a rodent's rectum what Pat King has to say about anything, except maybe those in the media, those in government who want to discredit the Freedom Convoy? Yeah, well, to answer your question, who cares what he has to say? Definitely the CBC, because he's the kind of guy who's prone to saying wild things, outlandish things, often untrue things. And the media takes that as the paintbrush to paint the hole. And they've done that repeatedly. 
And uh, that's why the convoy organizers and Keith Wilson, the lawyer for the convoy, Tamara Leach, uh, Tom Morazzo, they distanced themselves from Pat King, um, who's from Alberta here, and he's got quite a track record out here um, uh, for a time. Uh, last year, he camped out in the legislature until in the legislature grounds until the province had enough of him. Um, it, you know, they started distancing themselves from him once he started saying that politicians are going to get shot. Yeah. The, uh, however, they were happy to uh, sort of hitch their wagon to Pat King because he had a large social media following. And I think everybody learned a tough lesson um, because of that. And you see this with other people, too. Um, there's another lady, Bridget Belton. Uh, she was an early convoy organizer. And right now you can see she's got she's. To to this day, posting anti Tamara Leach, anti uh, Keith Wilson things on her TikTok. Um, we saw today also um, some. You can see some discontent with Benjamin Dichter, who I think was sort of doing communications for the convoy. It seems as though at some point Tamara Leach and Keith Wilson sort of cut him out of the communications um, as they were negotiating with the city to move some trucks and bring an end to the convoy. He said, well, I didn't know that a deal was struck. In fact, they were telling me no deal was struck, but we do know through documents produced earlier in the commission that a deal was struck and there's a paper trail to prove it. So I don't I don't know when they decided to cut him out, but it's pretty obvious that they did. And I know that Keith Wilson yesterday, or rather Wednesday, um, in a press conference said Benjamin Dichter was in charge of the crypto that was coming into the convoy. And there's been no accounting of the cryptocurrency that came into the uh, convoy, and he would like to see that. Um, because that's never happened. And that's been a real concern back and forth between uh, the convoy organizers now and Ben Dichter. And um, it's odd from the outside looking in, and I'm not even going to speculate, but a lot of people were charged with mischief, but Ben Dichter wasn't. And um, I, I don't know what's the friction there, why he wasn't charged. It seemed like he wanted to stay longer while everybody else was negotiating an end. And those who were negotiating an end we're the ones that got charged with mischief. It's just all very odd. There's a lot of questions back and forth. No, and, and it is so fascinating, Sheila. But, you know, my Christmas wish, uh, so to speak, would be, you know, whether you're pro-freedom convoy or anti-freedom convoy, getting back to Pat King, can we all stop referring to him as a convoy organizer? I think... Pat King saw himself as a kingpin, no pun intended, uh, more so in his own mind than what the reality was. And I want to go back to what you mentioned. He was camped out at the uh, Edmonton <laughs> legislature going back to October yeah. 2021. And I think this speaks a lot about the character of Pat King. You were on the grounds as a reporter and you bumped into him and I think his mistress at the time. And what happened, Sheila? Oh, uh, some Pat King people uh, tried to usher me off the grounds of the legislature, of course. <laughs> I am not going anywhere. The Rachel Nolly couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be bullied off the legislature. And it, frankly, I don't even care. I mean, whatever. In, in the long run, um, I, I still do my journalism there. I, I, and here's the thing, frankly, 
And we see this through some of the questions from the government lawyers and the anti-convoy lawyers, the lawyers for the Ottawa busybodies, as I'll put it. You see this with James Bowder. He's the uh, early convoy organizer behind Canada Unity, and he's the guy responsible for that bizarre homemade lawyering MOU that called for basically, uh, I don't want to say an undemocratic overthrow of the government, but an undemocratic possibly subversion of the government, wherein this, I guess, panel of citizens, I don't know who would even select them, um, would meet with the Senate and over, could just go around the government and that's how we would be governed, I guess. I don't know. And the convoy organizers had to distance themselves from James Bowder and and uh, his organization, Canada Unity. But he's on the stand today, and I mean, he's doing some homemade lawyering on the stand, and he's getting a lot of things off his chest, as was with Pat King. Um, And I think it's because these guys have been gagged for almost a year through their bail conditions. You uh, have been charged with criminal offenses, and I understand that a condition... um of your your bail is that you are not allowed to use social media. Is that correct? Not allowed to do anything. I've had absolutely every right of a Canadian citizen stripped of me. My freedom of speech, my freedom of protest, my freedom of everything. So am I correct? You can't use social media? (laughs) No. You are absolutely correct. Thank you. So now that they finally have a chance to talk, boy, are they letting her fly? And it's, you know, it's becoming difficult and contentious for the lawyers to say, okay, but this is the question I asked you. I realize you want to talk about these things, but please just answer this one question. But some of the questions, moreover to my point, and I sound, frankly, I sound like some of these guys on the stand because I'm not getting to my point. My point is from the government lawyers and from the anti-convoy lawyers, they're asking these guys about their personal opinions from anything from Alex Jones to 9-11 to QAnon. <laughs> I don't know, maybe aliens came. Actually, if aliens came up, I would have noticed. Um, but it, I don't understand what the point of all of that is. You're allowed to hold crazy thoughts. You're allowed to have whatever's going on inside James Bowder's mind. You're allowed to have Pat King's opinions in this country. It is a free country. You can even protest with those ideas in your brain. That's not illegal. Only when your ideas become violent actions is it illegal so you can hold whatever crazy views you want whatever homemade lawyering ideas you want i don't care you can be pat king and think you disproved the existence of covid19 in alberta (laughs) you can be that i don't care i fully support your right to hold those ideas while i disagree with them holding crazy ideas does not give the federal government the right to invoke a counterterrorism law on you and seize your bank account and that at the end of the day is what this whole thing is about it's not about their ideas although the government is trying to make it that way and, and Sheila you are 100% right let us not forget the ostensible policy reason for this inquiry and it's simply this Was the federal government justified to use that hammer known as the Emergencies Act in terms of dealing with the convoy? So what's in somebody's head? You know, uh, what kind of movies they like? You know, what kind of vegetables they eat? This is all nonsense. This is all irrelevant uh, to the question at hand. But, you know, Sheila, we, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about this ongoing perverse and even downright bizarre sidebar of Doug Ford 
seemingly terrified to take the stand. He's being subpoenaed. He's fighting the subpoena in court. Um, you know, I, I'm so intrigued by this, as, as are so many others. Um, Sheila, what's going on? And if he, he if he does lose his, uh, uh, you know, this this court case that he's involved with, is he going to take the stand or is he just going to uh, say, um, nope, still not going, just find me. Uh, I'm just fine staying right here in Toronto. You know, it's fascinating why he's doing this because the point of the commission is to put it all out there for the public to see. It's a public inquiry because it's important for the public to know who is making the decisions to invoke a counterterrorism law and peaceful protesters and why they were making those decisions and the, the discussions around those decisions. So if Doug Ford is forced to testify, and he absolutely should be, yeah. because we can see that there were communications between him and the federal government and him and the OPP, those are not in evidence yet because Doug Ford is not testifying yet. And I think that's exactly why he doesn't want to testify, because when he comes, guess what he has to bring with him? All his evidence, all his emails, oh, yeah. all that stuff is subpoenaed along with him. And I think that's why he's fighting this. And you know what else? Doug Ford is the only person resisting the subpoena. Yeah. Even Justin Trudeau is attending. Marco Mendicino is going to come. And if people like James Bowder, Pat King, to his credit, Tamara Leach, they are going to testify and they have criminal charges against them. And they're going to show up and testify to, I guess, in, in some of the other people's cases, the truth as they would like for it to exist. If they're going to show up, these well-kept politicians who did these things to them, they can sure as hell show up too. A hundred percent, Sheila. And you know, we went uh, out on Thursday with the Jumbotron equipped truck, uh, tr you know, trying to get, trying to goad, I guess, Ford into uh, getting out of his um, office and, uh, into that inquiry. And I'll tell you this, Sheila, we, we, the, the streeters were somewhat fascinating at Young and Dundas Square, which was this. There were anti-Ford and pro-Ford people we met. There were very well-informed people about the story and other people, tragically, that said, oh, I, I, this is the first I've heard of this inquiry. But I can tell you this, once the issue was explained, 99% said he should testify. So the point is, I don't think he's winning over the hearts and minds of the public by being so cowardly, so terrified about, as you uh, alluded to, maybe some text messages or emails or voicemails that he thought would be forever private and might become public if he has to testify. And you know what? He already looks like a chump in this, by the way, <laughs> because on the very day that he said, oh, I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with Justin Trudeau, I fully invoke or I fully support the invocation of the Emergencies Act for what? An extended traffic snarl in Ottawa? <laughs> like all they did was turn the streets of Ottawa into constantly five o'clock. Right. Yeah. Like rush hour. That's all they did. They kept a lane of traffic open uh, for emergency vehicles. But on the very day that uh, chumpy Doug Ford was saying that emails were going in as evidence before the commission where Jim Watson, the mayor of Ottawa and Justin Trudeau in a phone call. It was a, a readout, sorry, not emails. It was a readout of their phone conversation and they were plotting to stick the whole mess on Doug Ford. <laughs> so 
uh, you know, Doug Ford's already been betrayed in his bromance. And I think his collusion with uh, Justin Trudeau against the truckers, um, I think we're going to see a ton of that in his email. And it's going to make him look even more pathetic because he was being played by everybody. Oh, you know, you are so right, Sheila. Like just a week ago, Doug Ford saying he stands shoulder to shoulder with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And then just a couple of days ago, Justin Trudeau stabbing him in the back by saying he stands with the teachers unions uh, that predictably are out on strike uh, yet again. And I, I'm reminded of that great phrase from Shakespeare's Julius Caesar uh, when Caesar is assassinated, which is et tu brute, uh, meaning you as well, uh, Brutus. And um, of course, that could also be the answer to, uh, Doug, how many cheesecakes did you eat today? Uh, eight two, Brute. <clears throat> anyway, Sheila, more <laughs> fascinating testimony to come in the days ahead. One parting question for you, my friend. Who are you looking most forward to seeing on the stand? I'll give you my answer. It is indeed uh, Marco Mendicino, somebody that would put Pinocchio to shame uh, when it comes to nose-lengthening lies, because I still, still can't wait to hear which law enforcement agencies asked the minister to invoke the Emergencies Act. You remember that one? Um, yeah, so even over Justin Trudeau, I want to see... Uh, sneaky lying Marco on the stand. What about yourself, my friend? Well, as we're filming this, she hasn't taken the stand yet, but it would be my friend Tamara Leach. Yes. Because she's been accused of all manner of things she's never been charged with, sedition, treason, attempted overthrow of the government, terrorism. And when these people hear her speak because they have not heard her speak, and I have, they will realize, I think, some of the more clearer-minded ones, the less radicalized ones by the CBC, they're going to see just how absolutely wrong they were about her. A hundred percent. And you know what I should tell the folks, uh, Sheila, if you want to see Tamara Leach live and in person, the Rebel News Live events, Toronto, November 19th, a Saturday, and also Saturday, uh, November 26th in Calgary. And she will be at both events. And you can be the judge if you think uh, this is the worst uh, homegrown terrorist since Omar Khadr. <laughs> of course, the difference is little Omar got a check for $10.5 Oh, and he could go on a plane, but Tamara couldn't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's clown world, Sheila. Sheila, thank you so much for your analysis as always. And you have a wonderful weekend, my friend. You too, David. Thanks. There you go. And that was Rebel News Chief Reporter Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in the northern hinterland of Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. It's, it's not just stopping something. It's decreasing the rate of, uh, you know, uh, expansion of the, of the disease. It is decreasing the severity of the disease. So basically, in these two era, vaccine was, was effective. It is not perfect. It's not going to solve anything, but it's the only uh, preventive measure that we have that we can decrease the severity and decrease the number of cases to help the uh, health system to be able to, uh, you know, cope with, with, with the stress. As long as the health system is staffed, 
And right now they are not. Many want to work, but they cannot because they're not vaccinated. The two week lockdown, really harsh lockdown. I thought, okay, you know what? I'll give it two weeks because it makes sense. You get ready in your hospital, you build capacity, you get your PPE, you get your healthcare workers ready to go. But this two years, people lost their businesses. Seriously disagree. With? With, 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 with your point that you say that two weeks was enough. It wasn't. I, I don't think it was enough because they didn't utilize the two weeks. No, it's, it's not, you know, it should have been done, it must have been done, and it must have been done for a long time. That's, I'm, you know, I'm not representing anyone, I'm just saying from a scientific point of view, if we don't do that, it would be, you know, disastrous. It could be exploded. But what about it. now? It's still disastrous. Uh, yeah, the, it's the way of disasters. We, we weigh this and we weigh that. And if one of them is heavier, which in my view it is, it is still in some, some places it is, uh, then uh, I, I would agree with that. I'm, I'm not a policymaker or something. That's the thing. Yeah, we have to have that balance with the policymakers and the scientists and the health and the... Um, oh, the yeah, my, my because they was, can think about, you know, look, look at the children. My goodness. Have you thought about the pandemic facing the children with their development? and their psychology, it's, yeah, sure, sure. it's been terrible. Uh, thank you no, though so, for your so, time. Uh, Hello, how did the conference go the last three days? Very well, thank you. Good. Yeah. What was the kind of main topic that you thought would be helpful moving forward for future uh, response? I think uh, the focus was getting action and stop like just talking about things. Yeah. And I think, I think it's resonating with people, but you know, we'll see how, yeah. Was there any discussion sort of centered around what went wrong and how to better prepare for the next time, you know, with the action, but what kind of action? So I, I don't want to comment on, you know, I think it's, um, they're pushing to do things on the, the grassroots level and also bring in more private sector, right? Mm. Uh, because I think the discussions around multilaterals and governments were yeah, I mean, setting the policy is great, but it's not really translating as fast as people want it to be in, at the bottom of the pyramid. One thing that I didn't sort of see, and of course it's Sorry, impossible to meet every conference. Taxi, right? I'm, uh, sure, yeah. just one last thing. If there was ever sort of this indiscriminate lockdown imposed again, would you support it? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for your time. Best of luck. Sorry, English? Yeah, sure. Könnt ihr eure Filmsachen außerhalb von dem Gelände machen? English? Yes, I know what you mean, but I talk it in German, because we are in Germany. Okay. Uh, ich möchte gerne, dass ihr eure Filmaufnahmen da draußen macht. I don't understand. Pardon? It's a war to No, I, I, I don't understand, though, what you're saying. Okay, then I do it in English. Please do it by the line out of the hotel. Oh, okay, thank you. Streets, thank yes, you. of course. Well, there you have it, folks. If you are a media party journalist that doesn't have any problem with mandatory COVID-19 vaccines or big lockdowns, or for that matter, big government, well, then the World Health Organization will roll out the red carpet for you. But if you are a member of the independent media and you tend to ask prickly, albeit fair, questions, the WHO Gestapo marches you out to the sidewalk as if you are the proverbial skunk to the garden party. 
As you just saw, this is exactly what happened to Tamara Ugolini. And Tamara joins me now with more on this story. How are you doing there, Tamara? Well, I'm feeling much better now that I'm back in Canada, not having to worry about both the WHO Gestapo and also the German police and uh, maybe even their military. So it's definitely a nice having the Canadian safety net, albeit that uh, it's not as strong as I thought it once was. Well, it's great to have you back, of course, Tamara. But Tamara, we know the likes of the WHO. They don't want independent journalists asking tough questions at their fancy conferences. But I'm most curious... What is their official ostensible policy reason for denying you access in terms of covering the actual conference? Yeah, so I believe the response we got when we tried to seek formal accreditation with the World Health Summit, and again, that's it sounds like they're the same thing, but they're actually different, I mean, in name at least. But um, their, their reasoning or their justification was that they didn't have the capacity. They were going to be at capacity limit. <laughs> there at the World Health Summit. And I mean, as you saw from the video footage we have released thus far, we were able to get in anyway. And whether or not there was an additional two bodies in the room, I mean, people were packed like sardines in there, mingling and whining and dining, um, all on the WHO's expense, I would imagine, because I didn't see anyone being given any bills for any of the wine or cheese they were consuming. You know, isn't that remarkable? I mean, I would say that the odds of uh, a mainstream media person uh, being ejected as opposed to a rebel news reporter, well, I think those odds would make even the most reckless gambler cringe, uh, Tamara. Isn't it just such a happy little coincidence that the media organization, they decided, I'm sure it was at random, or they picked a, a name out of a hat, just happened to be Rebel News, just happened to be a journalist like you, Tamara, that's going to ask tough questions. I mean, how do they even say such balderdash with a straight face? Well, the interesting part is, and I believe I note it in an earlier report, I think it was the day two wrap up, that they clearly note in their little book that they've provided to all the attendees, which I happen to have here, um, called the World Health Summit. And I can send a better visual of this if needed after. But in here, they say that they welcome all media to their events <laughs> and they're and they're friendly with them and, um, and, and they welcome questions. But <clears throat> I guess it's just good faith questions, not anyone who would be a critic or a skeptic of their response plans. Yeah, all media is equal, except some media are more equal than others. Uh, to Where have we heard that before? Yeah, <laughs> oh my goodness, if only George Warwell were alive to see the world today. But Tamara, enough about our uh, problems uh, in terms of getting into these uh, places to cover it. What, from what you can tell, and I know you're at a disadvantage because they barred you from entering and taking in the various seminars and speeches and whatnot. <clears throat> but what the heck is the reason for this conference in the first place? <clears throat> well, the main merit of the entire thing is to establish global health architecture. And of course, many of our viewers are probably familiar with the um, pandemic treaty, the global pandemic treaty that's trying to be instituted by the World Health Organization. And it's really an attempt at strengthening the mandate of the World Health Organization and them to be able to instill or institute their own pandemic response plans onto the member states if at, at, at their whim, essentially. Whenever they decide that there's a pandemic and they declare one as such, 
then the, it forces the member states who have signed on to the WHO's mandate to comply with whatever they deem necessary. So whether that be masking, um, forced lockdowns, or as we've seen throughout the COVID narrative, forced vaccinations. You know, Tamara, what you just said is making me extremely nervous. Um, hasn't the World Health Organization done enough damage over the last two and a half years uh, as opposed to this organization getting emboldened to roll out even further mandates when it comes to dealing with COVID-19 or I, I don't know. Are we on? Are we still on monkeypox? Uh, I, I'm not sure where we are in the end of the world um, virus right now, Tamara. But the point I'm getting at is their mandates, their so-called mandates going back more than two years ago, I think did so much damage for nothing, really. Yeah, and I would tend to wholeheartedly agree. And as we have seen, the all-cause mortality globally, not just a Canadian phenomenon, has been skyrocketing ever since, you know, a couple months post the mass rollout of these injections, which was in December of 2021. And so that's what I felt my role there as a journalist was, was to push back on these policies and this global health architecture and, and ask if they were discussing any of their shortfallings, where they went wrong, what could be corrected in the future, what a more balanced approach would look like in terms of pandemic response, and how we really kind of disregard this globalist agenda for health and listen to what people need at the local level. I mean, the decentralization of health is really what has made health successful up until this point is meeting the needs of your individual patients. And when we disregard those individual needs, that's where we see these knee-jerk reactions that weren't ever based in science and rather under the guise of public health, which is shown to be, well, in my opinion, grossly overfunded and an inept failure. And so uh, as we continue to release this footage that we've got, we gathered out throughout the three days at the World Health Summit, one video in particular I'm going to have coming out in the next couple of days, and that's who I think was responsible for actually getting us kicked off of the property. Um, but because of Germany's two-party consent laws, we had to be really careful and mindful of how we release this footage and so we've had to consult both with Canadian lawyers and German lawyers. And so if you follow along with our reports at rebelwho.com, you can stay tuned for the insider uh, previously and exclusive reports that we have coming out there. And then, of course, if you appreciate the work that we're doing and we have done thus far, you can chip in if you're able. And Tamara, you talked about, you know, local level health authorities and what is your take? I mean, there is scuttlebutt. There is buzz out there that we might have to go back to masking and social distancing and limited attendance at shopping malls and movie theaters, what what, what have you. Uh, Tamara, I'm of the belief that if that does happen, and I can see it happening, <clears throat> given the kind of governments we have in this uh, country, um, I'm predicting real massive civil disobedience. I mean, nobody I know in my circle is going through that again. I mean, I think of the Roy Schneider quote from uh, Jaws 2 when he's uh, yelling at the mayor. Because I don't intend to go through that hell again. It's flu season, so we got to clamp down. Uh, we have to be safe. That's the word they always use. Yeah, it's always about safety and convenience with these sorts of things. And I, I don't put it past them that they would try to institute some of these mandates again. But I really don't think that they would have the compliance of the general population like they did before. And I've said this repeatedly, 
even in my personal life, that I don't think they would get away with the vast majority of these things ever again, at least mm. not, you know, for another five, 10 years. I really don't think that we're out of the, um, we're out of the probability of that happening again, but more of a long-term thing, you know, looking toward those sustainable development goals, 2030 and onward. Uh, in the short term here, I do not think they will have the compliance of the general population. I mean, people know way more now than they did in 2020. And arguably that's thanks to some of the reporting we've done at Rebel News. But there are way more access to information requests that have come out proving this response was not evidence-based and did little to nothing to actually stop the spread of this seasonal rep respiratory virus. There's also the lawsuits and just the general mounting science we have now that is actually evidence-based that is, in my opinion, getting more and more attention as people continue to see all the shortfallings, you know, especially with the vaccine mandates and how those were meant to be our saving grace and be our ticket out of the pandemic. And now cases are and hospitalizations are higher than they were before the vaccine. So um, people are asking a lot of questions now and not just sort of blindly following the herd anymore. Thank goodness. And certainly the evidence that's coming in on a daily basis, Tamara, uh, it's just looking worse and worse. One final observation. Um, <clears throat> you know, the outrageous and egregious way you were treated in Berlin, I mean, it really bothers me. But on the other hand, there's always a silver lining, Tamara, and I think it's this. It's, uh, you know, what's referred to as the Barbara Streisand effect. They think they're being, you know, such authoritarians by de uh, determining who gets to cover them and who gets frog marched to the curb. But really what it does is it looks so bad on them. It shows them to be the elites they are. It shows them to be so petty, so tyrannical. So in other words, um, Tamara, by those actions, uh, they give themselves uh, a self-inflicted public relations black eye. That's what I think. Last word goes to you, my friend. I would tend to agree as well, David. And the thing that they really didn't know, didn't realize, I think, when they decided to ask us to leave the property, which, of course, in a foreign country, I wasn't going to start resisting or pushing back on that. And there was a bit of a language barrier as well. But they didn't realize that we had actually been on the inside for the full three days of the conference. In <laughs> fact, when we were outside there and trying to get garner interviews from the attendees as they left, Drea and cameraman that we had on scene with us there, Ed, actually left out of the building. We gave them the keys to our Airbnb. We stayed there and continued reporting outside for about 20 minutes, half an hour, while they went back to the Airbnb after gathering that full day of footage. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, we were um, banished off to the sidewalk for simply asking questions and trying to stay out of the pouring rain. It was also pouring rain that day. You can see in the video, my hair is drenched. <laughs> I was soaked. So was my cameraman. And we were just trying to keep the equipment out of the rain under the canopy of the hotel itself. When, um, again, I'll have this video coming out in a couple of days when one of the main key players in the World Health Summit, uh, I think, was who was responsible for getting us banished out there. But yes, I agree. It does look bad on them. And the fact that they can't take any sort of uh, criticism back on their policies and attest to um, the strength of what they've imposed onto the entire global population almost indiscriminately, um, I think that speaks for itself. 
Wow. You know what? I didn't know anything about that uh, hotel key switcheroo. I mean, it sounds like a script from Mission Impossible. You're a modern day Barbara Bain, uh, Tamara Ugolini. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I love the fact that you outsmarted those WHO creeps and uh, at their own game. Tamara, wonderful work as always. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, David. You got it. And that was Tamara Ugolini in Coburg, Ontario. Folks, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Progressive Conservative Premier of Ontario Doug Ford and his former Solicitor General Sylvia Jones are trying to shield themselves from public scrutiny and arguably disclosure of internal communication by legally resisting the commissioner's subpoena that is being used to try to compel them to testify at the Public Order Emergency Commission happening right now in Ottawa. I believe there's also someone in court today attacking one of my uh, one of uh, the subpoenas. So, the commission is a legislative requirement meant to scrutinize and determine justification for the invocation of the Federal Emergencies Act, which is basically martial law after it is invoked. Something that our overlord, Prime Minister of Canada Justin Trudeau, did on February 14th in response to an annoying trucker convoy that took to the nation's capital in Ottawa for three weeks at the end of January earlier this year. The federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity. The convoy was a political annoyance for Trudeau and the Liberal government who had imposed heavy-handed COVID-related mandates onto Canadians but it was also a direct result of annoyed Canadians being continually ignored by all levels of government with any opposition to the indiscriminate infringements of the government into their everyday lives. And Doug Ford said himself that he stands shoulder to shoulder with Trudeau. Check it out. Yes, I, I stood shoulder to shoulder with the, the Prime Minister. Uh, the, these uh, folks were, were, you know, camping out everything from whirlpools, disrupting downtown, disrupting the lives of the people of Ottawa. Uh, we've worked collaboratively with, with the mayor and the, the, the prime minister over at the borders. They were holding up a billion dollars of trade every single day getting across our borders. We were getting phone calls from governors. It's unacceptable. So why is he being dishonest and saying that he wasn't asked to testify? How come, Premier Ford, you're not testifying at this inquiry? Were you asked? Did you decline? I have not, I have not been asked uh, again. Uh, I want to repeat what I said earlier. We have top officials uh, from the OPP that were running the operation with conjunction with municipal uh, police agencies and uh, the RCMP. Because he was asked, and he tried to get out of testifying by offering written submissions. It was at that point that the commissioner issued a subpoena to, for him to testify at the commission. And repeatedly, the judge responsible for overhearing the arguments from Ford et al's lawyers and both the commissioner and the Ottawa residence lawyer asked whether or not the skirting of the commission requirement under this guise of parliamentary privilege was being used as a sword or as a shield. And we are going to call on Premier Doug Ford to come out of hiding, to comply with the subpoena and testify in front of the commission as required by the mandate of the Federal Emergencies Act. 
We're immediately launching a campaign at stophiding.ca where we have a petition that calls on Ford to testify at the commission hearings. We have also hired a billboard truck with a similar message that will start its route around Queen's Park in Toronto on November the 3rd. So where's Waldo? I mean, where's Doug? Well, we've come right to his uh, business address here at Queen's Park. And it's incredible because let's look at the chronology. First of all, Doug Ford said he was never asked to testify. Do you remember that? Check out this clip. How come, Premier Ford, you're not testifying at this inquiry? Were you asked? Did you decline? I have not, I have not been asked. So, folks, the question remains, why is Premier Ford seemingly so terrified to testify at the Emergencies Act inquiry? Well, we're not letting him off the hook so easy. We feel it is parliamentary duty to testify it is not his parliamentary privilege to hide in his office like some supersized Wyerton Willie. And by the way, folks, if you want to get involved with our campaign, please visit stophiding.ca. That's stophiding.ca. Please sign our petition demanding that the premier do the right thing and testify. Oh, and if you can, please chip in a buck or three to help us pay for the rental of that Jumbotron equipped truck. My thanks in advance. In any event, you had plenty to say about the reluctance of Premier Ford and former Solicitor General Sylvia Jones when it comes to testifying. Ralph Riley writes, it's incredible that they refuse their public officials. Well, good point, Ralph. They are public servants indeed, meaning they serve us, not vice versa. Isn't it amazing how many people in government and in the bureaucracy seem to forget this caveat. The Flyer 99 writes, when someone has a guilty conscience, they are always afraid. Well, that's a really good point, actually. So the question remains, though, what is Ford and Jones so afraid of? Some internal communications being made public that they thought would be forever private? And if that is indeed the case, then what was said in those communications? Fascinating. Shane Pankhurst writes, he just straight lied to us for over two years. Now he doesn't want to lie. SMH. Yeah, and the biggest lie of all is Doug Ford's proclamation that he's a conservative. His past four years plus of governance does not resemble anything conservative. And what did he say the other day? That he stands shoulder to shoulder with Prime Minister Blackface McGroper? <laughs> wow, for the beleaguered members of Four Nation, talk about bait and switch. And Chris Wallace writes, I'd rather see him sitting in an isolation cell for refusing to appear. Well, that would be almost as harsh as taking away his cherry cheesecake dessert. But seriously, if he is ordered to go testify and Ford still refuses, then what happens? Can't wait to see how this saga is going to play out in the days ahead. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. Have yourselves a fantastic weekend. See you next week, of course. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.